This podcast is proudly supported by Drama Victoria. We would like to begin this episode of The Aside by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which it was recorded. We record on the land of the Wurundjeri Willem people, and we pay our respect to their elders past, present, and emerging. Hello and welcome to The Aside, a podcast for drama teachers and students. I'm Nick Waxman and today we are joined by the amazing Ian Sinclair. Ian Sinclair is well recognised as one of Australia's finest directors of actors. He has directed celebrated major productions for state companies such as STC, Belvoir, MTC and Queensland Theatre. Ian uses a process dedicated to empowering actors through story. He applies bold new thinking from the fields of social science into personal neurobiology and story theory. Ian is also the head of acting at 16th Street Actors Studio. You can hear Ian Sinclair discuss the purpose of playing as part of his keynote for the Drama Victoria Jumpstart Conference in 2020. That audio is available as an episode of The Aside and it's linked in the episode description. With students coming back on site, we thought it was really important to discuss the art of play and the fun of drama. Without any further ado, I bring you Ian Sinclair. Welcome to the podcast, Ian Sinclair. Hello. Hi, Nick. Thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate you giving us your time. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's a you know huge week for Victorian drama classrooms next week after the long weekend. Um, Victorian drama students are returning en masse to drama classrooms next week. Uh, what do you think is important to establish again now that we're back? Well, I mean, it's the same thing for not just for drama students, of course. It's it's the same thing for acting students, uh, say, at the studio that I teach here at, um, but also across, you know, across the state, all of the um, actors are going back on set and they're also going back into the rehearsal room. So I think this is across the board, you know. And, um, uh, you know, we've had a little bit of a taste, didn't we? So when we came out last year uh, from uh, from that series of lockdowns, um, and it was funny, you know, like uh, I, I had the good fortune of, of being able to squeeze two productions in, uh, in that gap between the two lockdowns. I did burn this at 45 Downstairs in the Lamford Wilson play, and then also managed to squeeze in uh, Joanna Murray Smith's Berlin at MTC. And, um, it's very interesting. There were a couple of things, experiences I had, I think, with, with the professional actors was that um, it was as though their, uh, their intellectual capacity was, was on fire, you know, uh, but the animal capacity that, that, which I would argue is probably 70 to 80% of actual acting, um, took a while to, to, to gear back up again. You know, uh, the feeling when, when we went into rehearsals for Berlin, because we, we were in rehearsals when they, um, when they uh, you know, came in in March last year, 2020, to, to say everybody go home. Um, the feeling when we got back this time around, it was two things. Uh, one was the feeling like, um, you know, when you buy a new puppy, and you, uh, you put it in your living room, and it sort of just very sheepishly puts its paws out and snips around. That's how, that's how the actors felt with one another, and certainly how the audience felt with each other as well. And um, it was a bit, little bit, we all had a bit of new puppy syndrome going on. Um, and it took, a, it took a little while for us to get used to that. And the other feeling we had was as though we'd been on, um, we'd been on, a, on a cruise somewhere a year before, you know, <laughs> and then we all got back together again. It was like, oh, is the magic still there or not? And uh, it took a while for us to, to grow those animal connections, I think, you know, uh, sort of philosophically and intellectually, we knew 
that it was a, all a good idea, but it took a while, you know. And um, and I think that's the, the the thing to think about is is the animal, the interpersonal communication, as opposed to kind of the avatar based interaction, which we've done really well with. Um, and uh, sort of going into some neurobiology with that, the idea of, of our mirror neurons, you know, which we know um, fire a lot more when we're in literal company with one another. Um, and that goes for sporting events, religious events, plays, you name it. Um, they, they, they've discovered, for example, in drama that, um, that only about 30% of your, of your available mirror neurons fire when you're watching a screenplay, a, 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 sorry, a, film um, as opposed to if you're actually physically in the room with with actors doing stuff and so it's things like that I think which is reopening those those old neural pathways um, and that's going to be the fun stuff I think you know but drama is the best one for it because it it's the the art it's the art form of behavior you know and it's not just the art form of behavior but it's the art form of behavior and consequence of course, under imaginary circumstances, but the body doesn't know the difference between uh, imaginary circumstances and real ones. And that's why drama works so well, I think, you know. Um, and, and so, you know, mirror neurons is a sort of good way to think about that, which is that the, there's a physiological bridge between the interior world and the exterior world and drama and behavior is the way that we can get across that bridge. Um, so I'm really excited about it. I think, I don't think it's gone away. Um, what they've discovered certainly with mirror neuron theory is that, is that the, if you don't use those um, networks, it's not as though they disappear, but they just um, become less myelinated, which is they become less, um, the less of a habit less easy to to do and, and then what but once you start firing all of those things up again yeah the brain catches up really quickly so a good a, a sort of another analogy for that would be it's like when you learn a language uh, and then you don't speak the language for a year or so and you think you've lost it and then you, all it takes is going to that country again and after a couple of weeks you can feel it firing up and your brain sort of sparks back up again so um it's terrifically important, um, uh, to, and but I think that's the thing to establish once we're back in. It's literally just the interpersonal physical behaviors in the way that dogs like to behave in a park. I think that's what humans need to do a bit as well, rather than just sit down behind a desk and get back to it. Wonderful. I think you've encapsulated the the issues we're going to be facing beautifully there. And uh, and on on that on those those yeah. final moments, what do you think the link between purposeful play and drama is? Why is it that drama is able to do this special thing that other subjects can't? Well, uh, look, you know, as, as you mentioned in my intro, uh, I'm very interested in evolutionary biology and evolutionary psychology um, in relation to drama. And, um, and part of that is, is because I think that this art form is older than all of the other ones. It's, it's possibly older than music or maybe about the same age, but it's, absolutely certainly 100% older than than anything that was written you know we only learned to write uh, well and develop writing technology what they think maybe 12,000 years years ago with cuneiform um, and, and so that leaves uh, hundreds of thousands of years um, of human beings uh, playing and enacting drama with one another and um, uh, you know uh, in terms of sort of uh, the link between the two, I think I think it's more than a link. I think they're actually the same thing. I think that um, play evolved into drama, and drama is really just a kind of formalization or a um, or a sort of a 
uh, a craft version of play. Uh, uh, it's it's that, and so it's 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 play with a view to being watched, and that's that's really the the key difference. So so. Um, that's a good way of thinking about it, I think. And also that there are many different types of play. Um, you know, there is purposeful play, but I suspect you know, when I'm in a rehearsal room or when I'm with actors, uh, purposeful play is kind of one of the last versions of play that we step into. The first type that, you know, where, where the first thing we do when we get into a room, which is very important for me as a director, is to, is to break down any sense of formality to begin with, you know, um, because formality and creativity are not very good bedfellows, you know, and, and art, uh, especially dramatic art, has to have those those um, boundaries knocked down in ways, you know, of course, you know, you've still got to do it in a school, we've still got to do it, um, you know, in safe circumstances and all that sort of thing, but I try to get it rough and tumble fast. I like to sort of break down as many barriers as possible. You know, so one way of thinking about actors is that they're professionally disinhibited people. They have to be, you know, they have to be, you have to be able to play um, Lady Macbeth who does some terrible things. And if you, um, if you haven't stepped into that possibility, if you haven't played with the idea, if you haven't entertained the possibility that you can do that with your own body in a form of behavior, then, then what are your chances of being able to, to act it? You know, they're, they're, they're fairly low. So, so I like to um, encourage as many different types of play as possible, all in the knowledge that it will become formalized by the script and by the, you know, by the sort of environment, by the writing that, that, that it comes out of it. But, but so I'll, I'll, do, I'll do rough and tumble play quite literally, you know, when, when we're allowed to sort of grab hold of each other again within, within very specific boundaries. But, you know, there's all different types of social play and ritual play and there's imaginative play and there's, there's group play and there's solo play, you know, there's, there's, um, there's, and then, of course, there's the more formal versions of sort of fabulous imaginative play of storytelling and performative play and all of those things, you know, nearly any good uh, rehearsal room, be it for film or for or for stage does that, you know, it, it invites very loose behavior. Um, within very strict boundaries, of course, you know, and, and those boundaries, are, are, I think, are very important, you know, um, but hopefully that sort of answers the question in the sense that I think that play and drama are in some sense interchangeable terms and and that's why all all drama scripts for example any script has the word play in it uh you know it's a screen play it's a telly play or it's a stage play and so there's a clue in there right um we we know that play is involved in it you know and the word drama um, comes from the the ancient Greek word or dramatos, which kind of um, translates as action or deed or event, you know, um, and 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 so that's what we're doing here is we're, we're we're sort of creating actions and deeds and events, which is behavior into into play, right? Um, and so so they're really the same thing; uh, they're inseparable from one another in that sense. Um, but also, you know, there's there's something else, I guess. Uh, about play, which is that it's a, it's a it's an earlier form. You know, um, you can play with a magpie. You can make friends with a magpie through play. It's actually the only way you can make friends with any other animal, really. And but not but magpies, yes, to a certain extent. Some of the smarter animals, you might be able to play with an octopus. Incredible, right? This is a sense of just how old the the this evolutionary um, development is. But you can definitely play with a dog, and you can definitely play with a rat and a whole bunch of other creatures. And so you get a sense there that that there's a really powerful interpersonal. Um, mechanism at play at play right with with this particular thing and and um, I think 
you know, rough and tumble play is perhaps the most powerful of it. And I mean, rough and tumble, not just physically, but also intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, you know, the only thing we don't dive into uh, at, at 16th Street, for example, is sex and violence. So we'll be rough and tumble in every other environment, sex and violence, we put aside. So anything that we deem to be sexually sort of active or, 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 or an act of violence, um, we don't do at all, um, because those things are done under highly specific circumstances and very careful circumstances, you know, and poor old Alec Baldwin is an example of sort of why we need to have those rules so extremely strict, you know, um, we're not Absolutely. talking about Alec Baldwin, but, you know, also the, the cinematographer and the family, but, um, but we, we like to have the, as much kind of rough and tumble as possible, because that's where the, that's where the real magic is, and that's what, that's the way the unknowns are, you know, and um, maybe that's one of the, the one, what I think why it's so wonderful that drama exists um, at a, in a high school environment now, you know, it didn't when I was at high school, I just didn't have access to it at all. And that meant that there was no environment in the, in the school where I could um, explore new ideas, where I could, where I could take risks and take chances and, and for their consequences to be relatively low, you know, apart from maybe about the odd student thinking I was being silly, but um, I think, yeah, that, that, that's the real power of this is that we get to explore um, uh, unexplored spaces and, and be comfortable in not knowing things, you know, and, and that's that, what a joy that you can do that in, in drama school now. Absolutely. And you mentioned just at the start of your response that the professional performers are professional players. They've kind of, they've come ready and, and are excited to, to be part of this conversation. It's their job. It's their, it's their passion, we hope. Yeah. Um, and not all teachers are dealing with that. Um, we're working perhaps with students that aren't in that space yet, especially after, let's say, two years of lockdown-ish. What are some ways that you think we teachers can establish trust and play in the classroom? Well, I mean, yeah, there's there's a great clue there, isn't there? That that um, that actors are called players, you know, and that's what that's what Hamlet called them, for example, you know, and and he quite literally speaks to speaks to that in 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 his piece where he actually says the purpose of playing um, was and is, you know, um, the to hold a mirror up to nature, uh, and and I think that's a good way of, of sort of going into this, which is that play and nature are also really closely associated things. So play is not something you need to learn, um, and it's not something um, which needs to be which needs to be really heavily taught. You know, you can you can leave a bunch of any any humans in a room. You can leave four or five people in a room for long enough, and they'll start playing. You know, it, it kind of manifests itself and creates itself, which is really great. Um, and that means that that all you need to do is create a fertile environment for it. Um, but also, I think it's very important um, to create a sense of trust and play. The first thing is um, play uh, is happens when um, when you're dealing with open systems as as opposed to closed systems. You know, it's it's hard to play when there are a lot of rules. Um, but if you if you set out some rules that are very strict and then leave the rest of them open, that usually creates a wonderful environment for play. You know, you create a vessel where people can really launch into it, you know, and so too often students are placed into closed systems and then they're invited to be creative. And, uh, you know, it's a bit of a sort of an oxymoron in a sense. So the first thing I do as a professional director and also as an acting teacher is to remove um, any kind of outcomes based stuff as well. So create a couple of very strict rules like you're not allowed to hit each other you're not allowed to violate each other apart from that everything else is allowed for example um and then uh and then after that also know that anything that we're doing doesn't necessarily have to have an outcome you know it's just about um 
fostering curiosity and exploration with zero sense of kind of any any desired particular outcome and that's exactly what happens when dogs and play with one another or when children play with one another you know the 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 idea of having to reach a goal isn't really there you know it continually sort of unfolds into you know sort of living and exploring with curiosity and and if you can get that thing that uh, element firing um, nice and quickly I think things start to really 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 fly you know and I, I mentioned before that all, all plays are mysteries as well and there's it's fun right mysteries are great fun that's why that's why we're happy to watch you know all those sort of you know lame English, English um, shows about you know and set in one small village where thousands of murders happen uh, because there's a mystery there and 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 if you know that there's a mystery there then then we can start to solve what that, that you know enjoy solving them and and so just putting people in a room is kind of an invitation to, for them to solve a mystery and that's one of the things we like to do here as well is, is create a mystery of some sort like i don't know um you know why 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 how do you make love stay and then we'll explore that sorry nick go ahead no, I was going to say, you know, a mystery in the classroom, uh, the fun idea of like a, a stage and, you know, a, a coat hanger of, of a few jackets and some hats. And then yeah. you're just inviting people to pick up what they want and put on what they want and be where they want to be. So you're not forcing them into that. You're encouraging, you're letting them know, hey, here's some things, here's some opportunities, trust and play. But yeah, um, that's right. And, and you know, we all remember that when we were little kids, you know, the moment that you put on a jacket and turn to your friend, you have no idea where that, where that, where that might be going. But there's something so fun about stepping into that new unexplored space, isn't there? And, and then that other person giving you something back, you know, and that's where all of that interactive st uh, stuff starts to fire up again. Absolutely. And we're yeah. kind of coming into that next question about um, do you have any go-to exercises for encouraging play? But when teachers are establishing trust in play, when now whether we're returning, that's that's about acknowledging people, hearing people, listening to people, yes. being aware of their limitations and things like that, I imagine. Uh yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it, it isn't fundamentally an interpersonal art form, even if it's on screen, you know, it's, it's all about um, the other person. And, and certainly here at the studio, that's, that's, we have sort of a few different mantras, but one of them is you are enough. Um, and then the other one is that um, the best acting always comes when your focus is on the other person. And so we, those two things are really good mechanisms for beginning to encourage um, to, to encourage play. But for me personally, um, because as I mentioned, I think the play is it's possibly older than humanity, you know, uh, that we, we were able to play before we evolved into people. Um, uh, which is kind of a wonderful thing. And that means we can step into some of these old systems very comfortably. Um, so a lot of my warm-up exercises are actually geared towards kind of reawakening ice age consciousness. Uh, you know, uh, it's a little bit hard to stay self-conscious or wrapped up in first world problems when, um, you know, when, you're, when, you're, you're, when your focus is on ice age survival concerns, you know, um, and that might sound a little bit esoteric and, or something or a little bit distant, but um, all you've got to do is have a look at um, the top 10 novels in an airport, you know, where they always have the, the top 10 as you walk past trying to sell you. And all of those, all of those stories 
um, are ice age concerns, you know, finding a partner, staying healthy, uh, keeping the tribe together. How do you defeat monsters? You know, how do you stay healthy? And all of those are ice age concerns. And so I quite often do a lot of um, warm ups based on ice age concerns. So, for example, one particular te uh, technique I use, which um, I learned from Max Stafford Clark, I was his assistant director in England for a while. Um, uh, it's, it's something called the predator prey exercise where um, where quite it's quite a simple game to play but it's based on the idea that humans evolved as prey and um, eventually became predators and that means we've got two different systems inside us you know if you if you meet a guinea pig you know that guinea pigs pretty much don't have any predators in their ancestry you know or sheep or you know m most of the other things that get eaten a lot but humans um, have both networks in us, right? So we're, we, um, we're, we, we know what it feels like to be hunted. And we also know what it, it feels like to hunt. And so if you play any of those kind of games, you know, where, um, where, where you invite people to either be a predator or a prey, and, um, you know, I could do, sort of, uh, explain them a little bit better, I guess, but uh, one particular way that we have, for example, is that literally we just stand in a circle and I randomly choose five or six people by touching them, you know, on the back of their head or something. And then they'll know if they're predators or prey. And then I just start the, start the room again. And some people know they are. This is, you know, what um, Sandy Meister, would, the acting theorist, would call a dropped-in circumstance. Some people know they're predators and some people know they're prey. It's loads of fun because the, the moment you tell somebody they're a predator, something changes physiologically, you know, psychologically. And you can see their posture shift. And so that's one uh, particular exercise I love I to do. Love I love that. Oh, it's so much That's fun, too. Right. And, 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 and you get all these wonderful sort of biochemical responses as well, you know, from people feeling fear, feeling dread, feeling, and, and other feelings which we pretend we don't have, you know, like the, the thrill of killing somebody. You know? Yeah, and it which totally makes it about the other person. You have to watch, yeah, yeah, oh, is that right. another predator? Is that prey? Like, it's all about the other person. It's really yeah, exactly. straight away. And about experiencing them. And then also knowing how to, how to sort of... Um, how to manage those feelings and that's a very important thing about play that i possibly should, should have mentioned earlier is that you know part of the thing about play is that you get to experience extreme situations under imaginary circumstances um the phrase we use at the school here is you know we create a safe place for dangerous things to happen um and and that's a very important thing because if you don't encounter these feelings you know like like the the the, the intent to to hurt somebody um then you, how are you going to learn how to manage them when it happens for real you know and that's one of the really wonderful things about about drama i think is that you get to experience a whole bunch of these things under imaginary circumstances and then create um, a framework, a, psycholog a psychological and behavioral framework around those things. And so you can regulate them and manage them, you know, so the idea that they, what they use in psychology is name it to tame it. And that's a terrifically useful one, I think, you know, one of the real, really sort of extraordinary, extraordinary powers of play. They know, for example, that rats that don't play um, either become more violent or um, become so frightened they'll actually starve themselves rather than expose themselves to real danger if they haven't exposed themselves to imaginary forms of contest you know and that's a wonderful thing um, but going back to the the idea of store uh, of games go-to games there's another lovely game um, based on eye gaze which I love to use 
Um, and it's all around based around the idea that human beings have more whites in their eyes than any other animal, any animal on earth, actually. That it's called the sclera. Yeah. And um, and the reason why humans have have really have a lot of sclera is so if I can demonstrate, you can see where I'm looking, where if, if you look at a dog or even a gorilla or a whale, they don't have much white, white in their eye. And therefore, it's harder to see where they're looking. And we have the phrase, um, eyes the windows to the soul. And so we can actually, humans are the best creatures at telling where people are looking and what people are thinking based on the, on the way that they look. You know, you can tell just from a look, can't you? Um, and so I play a game with, with the actors here where I get them to do one of three different looks, either to hold the gaze, which triggers a whole bunch of things. You know, if you hold somebody, if you've ever made the mistake of staring at somebody or accidentally staring at somebody on a tram, if they think that you're holding their gaze, it triggers quite a strong reaction sometimes. You can either hold it or you can get out of there, which is what most of us do, or you can do what they call the sweep, which is to do that one. And then you walk around the room only doing those three eye gazes, um, you know, which is visible through the the sclera being larger and just from that exercise you start to awaken ancient ice age things inside you which suddenly you go oh my god i've got all sorts of communicative ability that i didn't realize beforehand and there's so many more you know status interplay games um we do action circles all sorts of things but but as you can hear a lot of this is kind of based on evolutionary psychology yeah that's wonderful exercises um, yeah, they're loads of fun. Because we're an audio podcast, uh, mm. the, the sweep oh. is one you're making no particular eye oh, yes, contact with any me, yeah. specific um, person. Yes, that's right. So the sweep is, yeah, quite literally when you look somebody from top to toe or yeah. toe to top. That's what I thought. That's what I got, <laughs> but you never know. Just, there you go. It is. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, and, and, and you know, of course, there are a million ways you can be swept. You know, I, I accidentally, um, I've got a fairly ugly looking truck and I and accidentally um, drove into one of the country clubs um, up into the uh, up their driveway a couple of weeks ago and I got a, I the caretaker came out and he definitely gave me a sweep <laughs> yes you know what that feels like absolutely yes. <laughs> and how important do you think the teacher is encouraging play in the drama classroom is it about the teacher developing that is it about the, the you know collaborating together what do you think how important is the teacher in yeah look, I think it, yeah it's it's terrifically important I think most important of all um, is that the teacher um, needs to create the environment, you know, so it's, it's, the, it's the teacher who creates the climate for that, you know. Um, uh, something that I experience as a director a lot, you know, and I keep sort of bringing in direction, but it's because I don't think really see any real difference between being a drama teacher and a, and a theatre director, you know, it's the same thing where what you're doing is creating an environment for play and exploration to happen, you know, and, and then slowly, you know, formalising the whole thing. Um, but I think a teacher is, is terrifically important. Most important, I think, is about creating those safe um, boundaries. Um, because what I've discovered is the more the more sort of strong those boundaries are, then the the wilder and the more exploratory the play becomes, which is kind of an interesting interesting way of looking at it. You know, um, it's uh, the um, we we steal a phrase here from um, Steppenwolf Theatre Company in Chicago. Um, you know, one of the one of the great theatre companies. Um, but they they have two concepts, uh, which is uh, of, of behaviour. One one they call Vegas, and another they call Kansas. And um, and so the acting stuff that you do, you know, which is all the stuff screaming and yelling and and you know trying to trying to 
have people get people killed or try to you know all the different things that happen in place falling in love falling out of love all of those behaviors they call vegas right so when you're in rehearsal you're in vegas and of course what happens in vegas stays in vegas but then there's also kansas right and kansas is the moment you decide not to be in scene anymore so you can either step off the stage or you can literally just stop acting and de-roll and then suddenly you're back in kansas right safe with your red shoes on um and and i find that's a really useful and important job for for uh somebody holding a drama space to 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 um make sure is really solid is is that whatever the rules for vegas are are really clear and whatever the rules for kansas are are very clear so that way you can step into an environment you know which might be you know quite robust and feeling quite dangerous because of the whatever the imaginary circumstance might be um but then the moment um you want to get out of it or um or the moment you feel a little bit unsafe you can just go back to kansas again so i think that's a really important job for uh for anybody who's hosting or holding an environment um uh, or where there's dramatic exploration going on um but you know as i mentioned also dramas uh is is just the art version of play uh, and any teacher who doesn't encourage creative exploration or and open systems really isn't engaging in the medium itself you know drama is play formalized into a sequence of curated events that's all i guess um you know and i think part of part of the trouble with that you know one of the things i think is very important for drama and, and look uh, probably preaching to the choir now which is what a wonderful thing to know i think it, but is that in english literature in the way of looking at uh, drama used to always be looked at through the English literature lens or through the criticism lens, you know, and I think drama was hijacked and, you know, and tamed and stuffed into books and classrooms, certainly when I was at school, um, you know, but uh, I've directed what maybe 136 professional productions by now, and I've never, for example, ever used words like plot or character or theme, you know, while I've been putting on professional shows. Um, and so, and of course, I don't mean that's necessarily a bad thing to, to introduce into a drama room. It's just that letting drama be drama, you know, rather than for letting it become criticism or, or social analysis or anything else. It's, 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 it's wilder than that, you know. Um, it's a little bit more anarchic than that. And in the same way that play is wild and anarchic, you know, and all you've got to do is go to the zoo and have a look at the animals, the, the, you know, wild animals that are kept in captivity. And I think that one of the first things that goes away is play. And, and the same thing happens to, to drama. If you try to trap it, if you try to cage it, um, just like wild animals, they tend to not do so well in captivity. So, you know, set them free. <laughs> please, please. I've been nodding so hard throughout this entire episode, oh, just terrific. agreeing with everything you're saying when I have a sore neck. It's like, yes, yes, this all makes so much sense to me. This is great. Oh, so this is wonderful. So um, obviously you work with 16, you are a vital part of 16th Street. Um, how do you work there to encourage your novice or advanced students to play? Well, as I mentioned before, uh, you know, actors are professional actors. Are, they come in all shapes and sizes. You know, you don't have to. You don't have the 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 list. Um, of things that you need to be to be a professional actor is, is very different to the list of, I don't know, skills you need to have to be, I don't know, a, a high jumper or a doctor or anything, you know, we take, we take all types. Um, and, and so we, once we've got sort of a, a, the, once we've got people who are interested in their professional work, then we really hone in on what it is that, that, um, that, 
combines, you know, or that that what what's that what's the common common denominator in all pro successful professional actors, and um, I would argue that what they actually what the common denominator is is nothing other than two things. They're professionally disinhibited, which means they are able to, to engage in any kind of behavior, of course, within those boundaries that we talked about. Um, but also they are present and aware. Um, and uh, you know, drama is the art of the present moment. Um, but the idea of being present, you know, um, psychologically in terms of your, your consciousness, um, is also wrapped up in that, you know. Uh, um, so one of the things that we do here, for example, is we, we use Patsy Rodenberg, the wonderful voice teacher, um, Patsy Rodenberg's technique based on three circles of presence or being. The first circle is, she calls it a being of the past, which is when you're inward and, and reclusive. And the third circle is being of the future where you're sort of um, outwards and intruding. So bullies are quite often in third circle and shy people are very often in first circle. But there's a wonderful state between those two um, uh, circles of presence that she calls the second circle. And we spend quite a lot of time with our advanced and our, and our sort of professional actors in professional training, helping them work out ways that they can stay present in second circle um, which is not being you know, not imposing too much on other people but also not being too reclusive as well and and that way you stay present in the in the in, in second circle um, and so you know for a good way of thinking about this is people and something that Patsy says is that people every character in a Shakespeare play is in the second circle but also uh, Kalahari Bushman are in the second circle um uh people in prison are in second circle because it's the it's the state of survival and so if you look at an animal the most animals are in second circle like if you think of a cat right now for example uh cats are the extraordinary creatures aren't they they're kind of infinitely relaxed and infinitely um ready at the same time i think it's one of the reasons why we love them so much but cats exist almost entirely in second circle you can't sneak up on them and yet they'll happily be, you know, sit on top of a car or fall asleep. And so we do a lot of exercises in, in the second circle of being, and I strongly recommend having a look at um, the second circle by Patsy Rodenberg. Um, so, but, so we, we do that, you know, as I mentioned, we create um, as safe a place to po as possible to do the most dangerous things possible as well. You know, um, like I said, we have the strict rule about sexual behavior and violent behavior, but then around that we sit down and we work out those parameters. And so that, that makes it a lot more fun to play in because you can really sort of launch into it and have a, have a great time knowing that um, the person holding the event, um, whether that's um, Kim Courageous or myself or, or Julia Grace, um, they know that we could we will step in and, and make sure that the rules that we have agreed to are observed and so that so it means that you can go into some really wild fun um improvisations knowing that that your boundaries won't be crossed but you can get you can get very very close to them rather than being timid and and sort of not wanting to to um, upset anybody because that's not really a good path to becoming a really really excellent actor who gets lots of work alas <laughs> um i i also personally teach um dan siegel's mind sight practice m-i-n-d-s-i-g-h-t which is a, a technique 
um, from an interpersonal neurobiologist, um, Dr. Dan Siegel, who worked with the Dalai Lama. And he's created a process for, for expanding your interior awareness and your exterior awareness um, based on meditative practices, but also based on, um, on psychological and um, physiological um, processes as well. It's terrific, you know, so um, we, we, we're really big on, on teaching actors to, to have a very strong sense of interoception, for example, which is their ability to perceive the inside of themselves, not just their, not just their stomach and their heart, but also their, 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 their spirit and their soul as well. You know, and so we work on all different sort of areas. And what that does is build a level of trust and confidence, which ends up triggering a stronger kind of play, more adventurous play, you know, because of that, you know. So, so I think awareness of self and awareness of other people within strict boundaries um, is a really wonderful uh, recipe for advanced um, play and, and exploration, you know. Um, and I think it's worth sort of mentioning the idea of resilience for a second, um, because, you know, it's, it's, it's a very big buzzword uh, and, and so is safety as well. But I think it's very important, something we discovered here at the studio, it's very hard for us to do a Sophocles play or a Shakespeare play or any of the greats um, without exposing actors to a certain feeling or possibility of danger. Um, you know, and, and, and it's very important that we, that we sort of take it right to the line, you know, uh, to the boundaries where we sort of expect things to be safe or not safe and where we will all agreed on it. But to get as close to that line as possible, you know, because resilience isn't really a skill or, or an opinion or an attitude, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's quite literally an adaptation that comes as a direct consequence of exposure to difficulty. And, um, and drama is a wonderful way that you can expose yourself to very high levels of difficulty with a minimum level of actual danger. But the, like I said before, the, the body can't tell the difference between imaginary danger and real danger. And so provided we have the right framework for that, you can really um, use drama as a wonderful environment to build your resilience and, and it's not just experience of it, but it, it's it's to create sort of psychological frameworks for difficulty, you know, and psychological frameworks for the terrible time in your life when somebody tells you that they don't love you, or you know, the moment that you make a terrible mistake and you know turn right when you should have turned left. And if if you've had some experience of those kind of calamities under imaginary circumstances which is all the result of play, I would argue, then your, your chances of, of um, being able to deal with those difficult situations uh, are somewhat heightened. And that's certainly what, uh, you know, a lot of the theorists now have to say about play, you know, um, especially I think what Stuart Brown at the, um, uh, the National Institute for Play in the United States certainly talks about that. And he's, he's, his exploration has gone right down to um, identifying that, um, that a lot of the sort of um, really extreme behaviors that are coming out of, of especially young boys in the United States um, all have one unifying um, factor to them. And that is that most of those boys, young boys weren't exposed to rough and tumble play as children. Um, and so they acted out in real life. So, you know, there's some very strong real world consequences for all of that. And I think um, that's the great um, gift that play and its more formal cousin drama has to offer for the rest of the world you know is that it that it it helps it's 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 like medicine for civilization and that's something that the greeks knew it's something that the elizabethans knew it's something that i wish perhaps you know um 
the Andrews government knew a little bit better. Um, but but you can see, like the Greeks knew it and the and the Elizabethans knew it, and they've made the best drama yet. The Americans did some pretty great stuff in the last century as well. You know, and we'll see what comes. Um, what an amazing way to finish this conversation. It's drama and play is medicine for civilization. I think we're pretty happy with that then. Yeah, look, it's the empathy machine, <laughs> yes. as they say. And um, and I couldn't think of a more important thing for our students coming out of lockdown to be doing other than um, getting into a room and flinging stuff around and playing. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so very much for your time today, Ian Sinclair. Oh, it's my great pleasure. And thank you so much for your interest. Well, that is all from us at The Aside. Huge thanks to Ian Sinclair for giving so much of his time. If you'd like to hear more from Ian Sinclair, then you can listen to the one-hour-long episode, which is a keynote he gave at the Drama Victoria Jumpstart Conference in 2020, all about the purpose of play. You'll also find links to the work of Dan Siegel and Patsy Rosenberg in the episode description. If you'd like to ask us a question, please do not hesitate to do so at asidepodcast at outlook.com. Huge thanks to Drama Victoria for their ongoing support, to Aaron Searle for providing the music, to Eltham College for letting us record here, and of course, thank you for listening. <laughs>